Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This is going to be week two with Dr. Peter Kerr. Last week, we talked with him about being young leaders early in our career and some of the communication and leadership aspects that we need to be thinking about at this stage. Joining me once again to listen to and discuss the interview this week are my friends and fellow leaders, Elijah Friedman and Thomas Tubby. And we're going to get to our intro question in just a second, but I wanted to remind you about our giveaway that we're doing. Dr. Kerr has written a book called Adam Meets Eve, Foundations of Love to Last a Lifetime. We wanted to go ahead and give you an opportunity to win Win a copy of this book. If you would like to be entered into this giveaway, all you need to do is to write a review for the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or some other place where you can write a review for the podcast, and then take a screenshot of that and send it to community at lifeasleadership.com. We're going to be announcing the winner this Friday. So, Instead of talking about young leaders, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to lead an organization. So the the intro question for today is, what is an area of organizational leadership that you would like to have more knowledge in or be more skillful at? For me, I, I thought of uh, conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. That's one that I struggle with. My personality is, it's funny enough, it is, it is peacemaker, but in the same way, I don't like conflict at all. I I actually kind of tend to cower away from it. Sometimes I find ways to avoid conflict. So I would like to learn more, like hone in more skills with conflict resolution and conflict management. One area of organizational leadership that I'm fascinated by and know very little about is systems. So how to design and then refine and maintain systems. So I'm I'm trying to grow in that area, but it's really fascinating to me systems and, and all that they can accomplish in an organization. We'll be back with the rest of our interview right after this. As the leader of your organization, you have a lot on your plate. You work most of your day, leaving you little time to think about your own development. There's a resource for you, and it's called the Leadership Action List. Get the best leadership development tips for leaders by leaders at leadershipactionlist.com. The best news? It's free. Once again, for a year's worth of weekly leadership development, download the Leadership Action List at leadershipactionlist.com. In case you weren't here with us last week, our guest today is Dr. Peter Kerr, and he started his own leadership consulting company that provides world-class training for media engagement, public relations, crisis planning, public speaking, and leadership improvement. He's worked with nearly every large national and international media outlet and was responsible for media relations in Washington, D.C. during the 2004 Ronald Reagan State Funeral, and he served as the chief media liaison officer for all outdoor games in Beijing for the 2008 Olympics. 
He led the media training team at the Pentagon for two years and has media trained hundreds of leaders, including White House officials, politicians, military generals, CEOs, communications directors, and nonprofit leaders. He's traveled to more than 50 countries on six continents and speaks multiple languages. Here is Dr. Peter Kerr. Peter, welcome back again to the podcast. Thank you, Josh. It's great to be here. Last week, we talked about what it looks like for a young leader to begin getting started in their professional careers and in leadership positions. We talked about networking, relationships, skills to be building up in our lives. But this week, I want to talk about what it looks like to lead an organization. If you You've had quite a bit of experience with this, so you you already talked about this last week, but if you could talk with us again about Kerr Communications, what you do, and maybe even what inspired you to start an organization that helps with communication and leadership consulting. Yeah, so what we do is we equip leaders, usually with skills that they don't have yet, so we add to their toolbox things like how to talk to the media or how to plan for crises or um, there's even just how to be a better leader, how to, how to do group communications, how to lead teams better, those kinds of skills. And what inspired me to do it was um, I basically looked around and decided that a whole lot of people uh, could be much more efficient and effective if they just had a few more skills. And it turned out that a whole lot of people agreed with me when I started uh, teaching them. So uh, it kind of just took off on its own. I really don't, haven't advertised much. I, I don't worry about it. It's mostly word of mouth. What's really cool is every single every – Every single business I've ever worked with has come back for more work. So I'd say we have a bunch of happy customers out there. Yeah, and how long have you been doing this? I've been doing it since 2006, so about 13 years, yeah. Well, what have you learned from your experience leading in Kerr Communications but also in the any number of other leadership positions that you've had over the, the last couple of decades? Well, there's always the, the usual things. You need to have good job descriptions, uh, good expectations that so, so that your followers know what's expected of them. Uh, you need to have good conversations about responsibility and authority. I've already mentioned that you should delegate all you can. Uh, one thing that's related to that I think is really important is that you need to not micromanage. And maybe this is a good way to test yourself to understand whether you are micromanaging or not. You need to be able to give your followers enough room that they, it's possible for them to fail. If you're not giving them enough room for them to fail, you're probably micromanaging. So something to think about. And of course, they will fail every once in a while, and you'll have to dig them out of a hole or, or uh, make some changes. That happens. But people don't grow unless they um, are pushed to do so. And giving them enough room to fail means also that you're trusting them, and then you can build more trust. And if you don't give them any trust initially, then you can't build to greater levels of trust. And you'll never be able to get to the point where, I, as I was saying uh, last week, that you need to be able to de delegate even the important and higher level things. You, you, won't, you won't have trust in your subordinates. So you've got to be able to trust them enough and give them enough room to fail. And lastly, um, I think a really important key that I've learned um, would be that celebration with people is what earns you the right to rebuke people. So if all you're doing is nitpicking and criticizing, they're really going to be tired of you pretty fast. But if you are constantly giving praise, then you'll have the right to also tell them when they're doing something wrong. And something about that, too, I, I've noticed especially men, um, men learn a whole lot more by praise than they do by rebuke. So if they do something right and say they've done it wrong 10 times, but they do it right once, 
boy, you should jump on that and praise them for it. And you'll find that if you do that, they'll feel proud and they'll do it right again in the future. My wife really knows this principle. Uh, she told me <laughs> once that I'm, <laughs> she told me once I make good popcorn and now I make popcorn all the time. I'm like, honey, you want popcorn? I'll make popcorn for you because I'm proud <laughs> of how I, it, guys just lap that praise up and they learn from it much better than I think they do from the negatives. That's interesting. So I want to get a little bit more to that celebration part first because in previous episodes, there's been a number of us as we've been talking around the table in the studio, the idea of celebration is not something that people do very well. So I, in just a second, I want to get your input there. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you mentioned letting people fail a little bit earlier. That's one of the things that I think is just hardest for people to do, especially people that like to be in control and maybe have some perfectionistic tendencies. So have you ever had experiences where you've let people fail and it's really ended up hurting the final outcome, the final product, and maybe even your reputation? Um, without, yes. without, without giving specific examples, just out <laughs> of curiosity, how much does letting people fail end up affecting you and what you're trying to do in the long run? You know, the older you get, the more you realize that things don't matter that much. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was uh, 22, I got in a car wreck. I uh, didn't have insurance at the time, totaled the car, it was worth like $10,000. And a guy came up to me, my uncle, and he said, you know what, right now you just feel like the whole world's you know, over. But in one year, you'll forget this even happened. Hmm. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Less than a year later, it totally had, it was part of the past and it wasn't that important anymore. And we, we make such a big deal of the immediate, but the truth is you can handle a lot of failure and overcome it and be fine. And yeah, there are times where uh, I had airmen who worked for me who didn't, do the things they should that I told them to do with the newspaper and then the, the boss read the newspaper and got really mad at me and uh, because that subordinate worked for me, I took the flack. Of course, it's my fault. Um, I can delegate you know, the, the, uh, the authority to do that but I can't delegate the responsibility in the end that was on me. Um, the airman was just surprised as anything that I didn't, you know, kind of call him out. And, uh, he worked so much harder in the future for me because he knew that I had his back and he knew he had to have mine because that was the, what the relationship had to be. So he grew a lot from it and we ended up winning like 11 of the 13 total possible awards that year as the public relations office. And a lot of it was because of the trust that was built. We, you can fail, and you can overcome. And so often we get myopic and we are only looking at the task and leaders need to realize that the main task in almost every organization is to develop relationships with the subordinates. Okay. The, the, the actual immediate task in front of you looks like it's the main task, but the most important thing you can do is develop those assets because that will make you successful well into the future. And that's what's enduring and lasts. The, the task right in front of you isn't as important as you think it is. And you certainly, yeah, you're, you're going to get hurt if you follow my advice, but in the long run, you can be so much more successful because of it. So you talked about how things don't really matter that much, at least a lot of things that feel like a big deal <laughs> yeah. in the moment. But at the same time, when there are things, especially that your followers are doing that are worth celebrating, it's really important to take advantage of those moments to celebrate. So any advice on how to celebrate well? Oh, yeah, huge. Um, I would say some good ideas would be 
uh, have maybe a picture of somebody who's put up for a week or two when they've done something well so that everybody who walks by, it has to be an entryway or something of your, of your office, knows that person is being celebrated this week. Um, send an email out to everybody, uh, but the email is maybe to this person and say, you did a great job and these are things you did. Thank you so much. But everybody sees it. The, the whole idea of praising in public is huge so that people know what others are doing and they also then are motivated to want that kind of praise themselves. So uh, definitely the celebrate in public idea is is important. I think too often we, we celebrate in electronic form, but sometimes um, what if what if you actually uh, brought in donuts and said it was in honor of so-and-so who did such and such? I'd be all about that. Yeah. yeah. And then spend 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes in the morning. Basically, everybody's just having a party eating those donuts and they know it's because so-and-so did some such and such for the company. Or you could even say Friday at three, we're getting off early. Why? Because so-and-so did such and such. So give your office or your workers uh, things that they appreciate, the benefits they appreciate in the name of the person you're celebrating. And I think that would that could go a long way. So this is kind of changing topic here, but as we've read your bio these last two weeks, we see this list of things that you've done, and not everything is on here, but you have the 2004 Ronald Reagan State Funeral that you were responsible for media relations for. You were the chief media liaison officer for the outdoor games in Beijing in 2008. You also had an important role at the World Equestrian Games. You've trained people at the Pentagon in government. Either you are the Forrest Gump of the communications world, or you figured out how to make things happen in your life. And so I'm wondering, as people are thinking about becoming leaders in different places, are there any principles that we can take from your life that can help us move forward in ours? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to claim the Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 no, I do think, uh, you know what, uh, I've, I've only told my students uh, at one time that their mothers were wrong. Uh, I tell them their mothers were wrong when they told you that you could be anything you wanted to be because you can't. That's not actually the way the world works. Um, in order to be what you anything you wanted to be, you have to have a whole lot of people who sacrifice to help you get there. Michael Jordan, first of all, had to have natural talent that I wouldn't have. But after that, he also had to have coaches and other people to help him become who he wanted to be. And uh, while you cannot be anything you want to be, what you can be is the most that you can possibly be and then be ready for when the doors open. So I think a lot of in my life has been self-discipline, has been uh, getting things done well, the first I, I try to put a quote uh, just about every week on the door on my door for people to, to see. And the first one that I put, I remember when I was a second lieutenant up on my door was it's better to meet than just beat your boss's deadlines. So that's a good tip. I think it's true, too. Uh, it's, it's much better to get things done ahead of time and show that you're competent and capable. And then people will want to give you more uh, and then you can grow rather than just barely meeting deadlines. And then people just figure that you've done your job, which isn't very special at all necessarily. Um other things in my life, I think, uh, made some good decisions when it comes to uh, family because I think anything that you do in life is, uh, like, like I say, in many ways it's reliant upon others. And I have a, a wonderful wife and kids who uh, support what I do. And I think uh, making those kind of decisions is, is really key too. Uh, be enthusiastic about everything you do. <laughs> I think if you're not enthusiastic as a leader, then how can you possibly expect enthusiasm from your followers? And maybe one last thought. Think of other people as, as part of your family rather than as, as strangers that you're trying to exploit. When I'm leading, I see so many parallels with fatherhood. I really want to write a book someday about um, lead as a father and father as a leader. 
Um, because I, I, I want to see my subordinates not as people that I just use and then discard, but if they've made a mistake, I want to see it as something that, I, that we can learn from. When my son does something wrong, I don't just you know throw him out the window. Instead, I certainly there's some punishment and some consequences, but I also make sure that he's learned from the experience, that he's grown, he's better because of it. Uh, leaders have to be concerned about the growth of their followers. Um, they have to give grace and they have to give uh, leeway and they have to, like I say, they have to basically love the people that they're working with. And I think that that would be something that's maybe set me apart from others is that I, I try my hardest uh, to serve my my followers. I imagine that you have probably already answered this next question in part through what you just said. But another thing I'd be interested to know is what have you consistently found to be the simplest and most helpful communication principles or skills for people working and especially leading in organizations? Yeah, I think what I just said is definitely applicable there. Uh, One thing I'd add to that would be uh, always adapt to your audience. So since you're specifically uh, interested in communications, I think too often we try to impress our audiences with large vocabularies or those kinds of things. When I go and talk to high schoolers, I use a lot more contractions. I might even use the word ain't, which is so not part of who I usually am. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will change. <laughs> I'll change who I am to try to match who I'm speaking to because my point isn't to make my English teacher happy. My point is to connect with people and to try to uh, motivate them to, to see things that I'm trying to show them. So um, adapting to your audience is huge and being willing to change who you are sometimes as a way of service to others to help them come and meet you where you are. So that is actually something without getting too deep here that I've I won't say struggled with, but thought a lot about when it comes to leadership and really anything in life, how Mm -hmm. much is it okay to change who you are and in what way is it okay to change who you are in order to more effectively interact with other people? So could you expand on that a little bit? Well, we don't have two or three hours to expand enough on that. But what I would say is I've thought about it a lot, too. Is it two-faced if I'm trying to be somebody else? A lot of who I am comes from my faith. And in the Bible, the Apostle Paul says that I, I, am, I try to be all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. And I think it's a way of saying that I'm willing to change that which is not essentially me in order to serve or help others. That which is essentially me is never going to change. My morals, my ethic stances, uh, who I am doesn't change. But I think that uh, that you can adapt a lot as long as you're doing it not to exploit others, but to help others. I think the key to the whole question is really a matter of motivation. Am I trying to become somebody I'm not to strategically manipulate others? Or am I trying to be who would best communicate to this other audience so that they can be benefited from it? So we've talked a lot about some ideas. I'm I'm wondering if you would be able to share with us how you have put one or more of these principles in action in your own life. Yeah. You know, what springs to mind is uh, an experience that I had at RAF Lake and Heath in England. And I had an airman who kept uh, failing his room standard inspections. So after he failed it twice, uh, I went over with him and helped him clean it to show him what clean was. And he was just amazed. He couldn't believe that an officer would, would lower himself to, to do that. But I wanted to make sure he knew what the standard was so the expectation was clear. So if he failed again, it was because of uh, – it was because of – it was because of – a, a motive. it wasn't 
wasn't just motivation, but it was an actual – I mean it wasn't a competency issue. It was an actual uh, failure to do what he was told to do. And in any case, he did fail again. <laughs> and, hmm. uh, so, um, so then I had to punish him. And as a leader, my principle for punishment is this. All punishment needs to be a mixture of mercy and justice. You see, if you just give mercy, then people will walk all over you. If you just give justice, people won't want to follow you. You're not nice and kind. So what you have to do is give everything you can uh, to be creative, to give every punishment that can somehow balance both mercy and justice. So in this instance, I threw the book at him. Um, I, I uh, required him to have his pay docked for three months and go to jail for three weeks. And then I suspended that punishment. So it didn't actually get enacted. Instead, the suspension said, this is what you have been guilty of, of doing, and this is your punishment. And if you do one other violation in the next year, and that includes a traffic violation, like you parked in the wrong spot or speed, were speeding, all these things come down on your head. And you know what? This is really funny. He ended up being the airman of the year that wow. year. <laughs> he was the number one airman on the base of like 5,000 people. <laughs> so he was the upstanding student, uh, upstanding citizen. It was really funny. But the point, of course, is that if I just threw the book at him, would he really have learned or reformed or changed? Maybe. If I didn't throw any punishment at him, what am I telling the other airmen that are in my office, right? Or anybody else? So – uh, I think that's a good example of leadership in, 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 in practice, and maybe it's also a good lesson for people. Whenever you want, need to punish, try to look for a, 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 the option to give both justice and mercy. So is that something you usually operate under? Is that a principle that you usually operate under where you give judgment, but you don't necessarily enact it until later if they do something wrong again? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that that's certainly one of uh, the very possible ways of, of punishing, yes. And I certainly do do it a lot, although uh, if I had to say when I do it most, it's probably as a dad with my kids. Hmm. Um, and the kids are totally uh, – they totally believe and understand that it will be enacted if, if something happens again because I've had to go through it and enact it before. And also um, I think it helps me that I don't feel like I'm being heavy-handed because they definitely deserved it, you know, more than deserved it uh, when it finally – uh, happens. So yes, that, that is a principle that I use. But there's other ways of showing uh, mercy and justice. So um, maybe giving them the uh, the main punishment, but then giving them something on the side that is positive uh, to remotivate them. One thing I see over and over is that leaders often are so heavy handed and they don't realize that what you're trying to do is change the will of your subordinate. You're not trying to just change their actions, but you want to eventually get to the point where they're trying their hardest because they want you to be pleased, not because they're afraid of you. And uh, and so what you're trying to do is mold them into making good decisions on purpose because it's their decision, not trying to make them just do what you want them to do. You don't want robots. That's, that's a terrible business model. You'll never be successful in today's changing world with that. So um, yeah, I think that when you give punishments, look for both mercy and justice. So as a leader, you have the ability to wield mercy and justice. You have a lot of power, and that can easily get to your head, but just as easily things can come crashing down on you, and you can fall from the great heights of leadership. How do you build humility into your life so that you are a well-balanced leader? Yeah, uh, humility is certainly essential for leadership. Uh, you've probably already talked before on the podcast about um, the book Good to Great, which 
Jim Collins finds that the highest level of leadership is actually the difference between a four and a level five is humility, that that's the biggest quality that's different. If you're not humble, you won't be able to hire people who are smarter than you, which means you naturally are a limiting factor for your company. But people don't understand what humility is when you talk about, you know, how do you build it into your life? Humility is not self-denigration. And I think that's huge. People need to understand it's not putting yourself down. It's not even believing less about yourself than you are. That's ridiculous. That would be to what be two faced or even lie about yourself. If you ask me, humility is greatness that doesn't expect recognition or special treatment. Um, it basically, in, in my mind, again, coming from a, a very religious perspective, it's uh, it's keeping God's glory as the primary goal and not my glory, and that would be what humility is. But something for you to really understand is that it's greatness that doesn't expect recognition. In other words, um, if uh, if I pick up a piece of trash, who cares? But if Donald Trump picks up a piece of trash on the road, wow, that's pretty impressive. Why? Because he has a position that is great, therefore he – uh, has shown humility uh, by just picking up the trash on the side of the road. But you have to have greatness. So how do you get humility? Part of that is to become great. I think Jesus was the most humble because he was the greatest, and then he lowered himself to become human. So that's why he was the most humble. Um, too many people are not humble at all. They simply have nothing to be proud of, and that's not humility. So I would say uh, one of the big steps, strange enough, uh, just maybe so I can add to the conversation if you ask that to other people, but what I would offer is that real humility has to do with being great in an area and then uh, not expecting any special treatment because of it. So as we conclude this interview and really these two weeks that we've had with you, what would you say are some of the key skills that leaders must have to guide an organization to success? Yeah. Um, you have to be able to communicate your vision of the future. You have to be able to have that vision and then make sure that other people can get excited about it. Even the word leader, by the way, suggests that you're being upfront, doesn't it? You're ahead. You're, you're upfront. You're the leader. You're in the lead. That means that you have to be the one who sees what's coming. You know the goal. You know the destination. And then you get others on board to pursue that, that future vision. Uh, often that means telling stories, um, uh, creating traditions, building community. In the end, uh, leaders really have to be relationship experts, I think, and motivation experts. You have to empower others because your vision is not going to happen. If, if, if it's so small that you could do it yourself, then it, it's not worthy. Instead, your vision has to have people who are empowered, who are beside you to make it come true. That would be a big enough vision. Uh, and then in general, I'd say make sure that you keep the big picture. Um, I already talked about silos. I think it's hugely important that the leader constantly comes back to – uh, what is my main product? Uh, what are the interactions between the different parts of my organization that aren't interacting smoothly? And how can we how can we fix that? What's hindering? What's going wrong? They have to be the person who who notices those things. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining the podcast over these last two weeks. Now, before we finish, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready? I'm ready for the lightning round. All righty. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? The first thing that comes to mind is my father on a military base, Omaha, Nebraska, picking up trash just because it was in the on the way to his office out 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 on the ground. And I remember thinking, wow, he's he's the major, and everybody else, uh, you know, he outranks everybody there, and yet he's willing to uh, lower himself to to do something like that. I want to be the kind of leader who's willing to lower myself uh, to serve others, to show others the right way, and not to be too too proud. Um, to do the, the worst kind of jobs. I want to be the one who does those worst kind of jobs because that's service leadership. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? 
self-disciplined, focused on the mission, and able to motivate others. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? They should ask themselves, what is the future that my organization is heading toward? Do I like it? And can I get there faster? What book would you recommend to leaders? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I read one fairly recently that's not directly about leadership, but gives you great tools as a leader. It's called Reality Check. It's by a guy named, well, it's Guy uh, Kawasaki, actually. So, yeah. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Funny enough, I think that they should get enough sleep. <laughs> I think that if I could help them with one thing, it, it'd be that what you need to do is start going to bed at the exact same time every single night. And then you'll find after two months, your body uh, doesn't need as much sleep and you'll get less and less sleep and still be just as effective. The problem is most people mess that up by messing up their sleep cycle over the weekend and then your body's trying to reset all the time and then they need a lot more sleep all the time. And I think one of the keys to my success is that I don't need much sleep and it's because I just follow the natural principle that we've seen over and over in various studies. If you go to bed at this exact same time, uh, your body gets used to that and then it gets the most best fulfilling sleep from that. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. <laughs> As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I would say it is better to tell people the why, but it's much better to ask the why not. Peter, thank you so much for joining the podcast over these last two weeks and for sharing your expertise with us. If people want to connect with you, remind them what is the best way for them to do that? All you have to do is go to my website, which is kerrcommunications.com. And there certainly is an email there. My email is there. I can talk to you from that. So it's K-E-R-R -R, and the word communications.com. And I'd love to have visitors. Peter, it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure, Josh. Thanks for having me. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, 
Business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading wealth.